Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey, or you're a sex-positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Hello loves, welcome back to another episode of The Central Revolution. I'm so excited to be here with the amazing Rivka Reyes, who is a queer Filipina, Jewish actor, comedian, writer, musician, and witch. They are also the person who was the bass player in The School of Rock. What an iconic movie. They've been acting on stage and screen since they were 10 years old and are the host of the podcast, Where Are We Now? We dive into so many important topics in this episode. Rivka gets really vulnerable and real about their journey with sobriety and the roots of their addiction, not just addiction to substances, but also to disordered eating, drama, gossip, love, codependency, both hypo and hypersexuality, so many aspects of addiction. They do such a gorgeous job of breaking down the elusive before and after binary on the healing journey. We talk about shifting out of spiritual bypassing, um, breaking down kind of harmful versions of spirituality that we see in the world, and cultivating a more accessible, authentically empowering version of spirituality that really does serve in our own healing, self-love, recovery, whatever that means for each of us. And we get into navigating perfectionism and embracing ourselves as works in progress in every aspect of our lives. It's such a beautiful conversation, and I'm so stoked for you to hear it. It was such an honor to interview Rivka, and we had so much fun in this conversation. So check it out. Definitely trigger warning for topics related to addiction, of course, as well as disordered eating. Take care of yourselves as always. And if this episode inspires you, then please do share it and leave a review for us. It always helps to amplify these voices. Let's dive in, and I'm sending you so much love. Thanks for being here. And I always kind of start with this one question that you can answer in whatever way feels good for you. Who are you in this chapter of your life? I am a human with um, many shadow qualities that have been coming to light. I'm in my Saturn return right now. I am every day just taking little baby steps towards my final form, uh, which I don't know what that's going to be, obviously. Um, and while the unknown is scary, I think for, for everyone, but for, for me, um, I love to trip on the future, but I, I can't really afford to do that. Um, so I'm doing my 
best to take little baby steps to stay in the present moment and <laughs> just let life kind of happen um, without trying to control it too much. Yeah. Um, and then focusing on right now, uh, the things that I can control, um, which is very, very little. <laughs> um, I think mainly what I can control is my actions and how I treat people um, mm -hmm. and how I treat myself. That, that is where I am today. Thank you for that like very real and whole response. I think a lot of us feel that way and then we put a smile on it and we pretend we don't feel that way. <laughs> yeah, we do. So thank you for naming it. Can you share about the work that you're doing? And again, like the angle of that, because I feel like you're doing a lot, but like the angle of that, that feels most close to your heart in this moment and like what led you yeah. to that work? Yeah, well, I'm a, um, I'm an actor, writer, comedian, singer, songwriter, producer, podcaster, and reader of the Akashic Records. I also read tarot. Um, I identify as a claircognizant witch. Um, and um, I'm also I'm also wearing this this label now. I'm an influencer. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I I did have a, a bit of, you know, um, needing to reprogramming reprogram my mind around what it is to be an influencer because I think for a while we got into this way of like making fun of influencers and and doing like the whole like welcome to my tutorial like that kind of thing and and that's not uh the way that I do things and I give love to those that do do things that way <laughs> love a makeup tutorial I've learned a lot from those YouTube makeup tutorials and TikTok um cooking tutorials and and all sorts of things like that but um more for me along the lines of everything under the umbrella of taking care of yourself you know whether it's me taking care of my physical body or my mental health or you know the way I eat the way that I fuck the way that I sleep whatever it is um it's all coming from this place of nurturing that that highest self and mm -hmm. and giving tenderness and gentleness to yourself um and I also do a lot of uh, posting about sobriety, uh, recovery um, from, from not just alcohol and drugs, but from, you know, codependency, from eating disorders, from, you know, trauma. Um, and, and I'm definitely not an expert in any of it. <laughs> I, I really like to remind people that I'm not the only voice in uh, that space, um, but, all I have really is my experience. So I like to just share things based on my personal experience, not based on any, you know, um, educational like research or anything like that. Just mm -hmm. on kind of like how things, you know, what works for me and kind of coming at it from this lens of like, take what you like from this or don't take anything or take a little bit and leave the rest behind. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my aim is just to help people not just through my, my Instagram posts or my TikToks, like that's through my writing too. And through my music and through my acting and, you know, uh, through anything I create really. Um, mm -hmm. and through my Akashic records, of course. Yeah. And everything that you named too, like sharing about eating disorders, addiction, the way that you fuck, the way that you eat, like all of these things, these are such 
like trivialized stigmatized topics and I just think that like the way that shame and self-harm builds up when we don't talk about this stuff is so real so I do think it's so powerful to just like share our lives in that way if it feels right for us to like show up and say hey this is what I'm doing so I think that's really powerful on a representation note and I'd love to just hear about on that note, like your own journey with sobriety and recovery? Yeah. So, um, I identify as a multidisciplinary addict, (laughs) addict, um, people, places, (laughs) things, situations, um, chaos. I, I am addicted to, um, chaos and drama. I'm addicted to gossip. I'm addicted to, you know, not eating I'm addicted to eating I'm addicted to fucking I'm addicted to not fucking I'm addicted to you know isolation and I'm also addicted to people um and you know I think all of it kind of stems from this place of being allergic to reality and and wanting to distance myself from the truth um I speak about this pretty regularly I I grew up in a household where the truth was like bent a lot there was a lot Mm -hmm. of manipulation and lying and yet lying was kind of seen as this like horrible thing that you should never do but then we were all still doing it and and there was a lot of mixed messaging there and um I think the delusion in my family was that we had to be perfect we had to look very um awesome to like everyone and beautiful to everyone around us And yet behind the scenes, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of um, rage and (laughs) like drama and, and, you know, flat out abuse, like going on like emotionally and physically um, behind closed doors and and then having to, you know, show face and and be like, it's fine. Everything's great. I love my parents. I love my family. We're perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's okay at home. Um, Kind of just distorted reality for me. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 10 years old, I got the opportunity to be in a feature film called School of Rock that, you know, is possibly one of the best comedy films of all time. Um, and I don't say that because I'm biased. I say that because that's what people tell me. It, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of put this, uh, it was my first ever audition and it put this uh, another layer of distortion onto me that <laughs> the industry would be kind to me because of the instant validation of that first gig, which I'm so grateful for. Used to have a lot of resentment about it. I've worked through that copious amounts of therapy and recovery around it. But um, just being thrown into the, you know, Hollywood um, world at 10 years old was a lot and I won't say I wasn't ready because I know it happened when it was supposed to um but it did trigger this side of me that you know kind of became this hungry ghost where I was like okay what's the next job and then every time I you know auditioned for something and didn't get it it was just like oh like a big gut punch and and I really couldn't handle that rejection Um, and so that kind of rejection sensitivity transferred into relationships, it transferred into friendships, my family, um, everything. And when I was in high school, 
I started using um, alcohol and, and marijuana to like, you know, continue to hold up the facade that I was a cool girl who had it together mm. and could hang. But what ended up happening was I would black out. I would, you know, get really messed up and, and get grounded and lose the right to my phone or the right to my friends or, you know, um, and then my parents used a lot of like scare tactics instead of like, you know, asking me if I was okay. <laughs> like, you know, it was a lot of like my dad pointing fingers at other people in his life and saying, look what happened to them. Look what mm -hmm. happened to this person who, you know, smoked weed and then became a heroin addict and then got AIDS and died. Like, you know, a lot of that. And there wasn't really this, um, space in my family for me to figure out really what was wrong with me. Um, and then in college, I, I developed a pretty, you know, nasty codependency, love addiction. Um, you know, everyone I dated, it was not really romance. It was obsession. Um, I was obsessed with them. They were obsessed with me. I would chase after people who were unavailable <clears throat> because either they were in a relationship with somebody else and I was chasing after somebody who was taken or they were emotionally available, unavailable because they were going through some stuff, but I would chase and chase and chase and pursue that. And then once I had what I wanted and got that validation from that person, I would push them away immediately. And it kind of became this huge spiral of, you know, me drinking, using, and acting out, you know, sexually, um, all the while also struggling with my body, thinking mm -hmm. I was too big, you know, being the tallest girl wherever I was, and like feeling a lot of dysmorphia and gender dysphoria because of that. Mm -hmm. And the cycle became too much for me to really handle. And I, I, knew I was going to die. I just knew I, I was going to, you know, at that time I'd, you know, right after college, I started using cocaine pretty much every day, um, pills, anything I could get my hands on except for heroin, uh, and, and even meth. I did meth once by accident thinking it was Coke. It wasn't. And like, you know, it, it's just anything I could get my hands on to not feel like myself and to not be myself, mm -hmm. any person, place, thing, or substance I could put before Rivka. Um, I wanted it and it was too much. It was too much and it wasn't enough. And eventually I hit a really low bottom where, you know, I just looked in the mirror one day and I was like, I don't like you. I don't like you at all. I don't know you. I don't like you. I could see the death behind my eyes. I, I was in a, you know, a string of, of not relationships, but situationships with like pretty narcissistic, like, abusive people who were kind of mirroring my behavior to me and showing me, oh, this is what I am. Like I was in a lot of those situationships where, you know, we were both unfaithful to each other. Like we were both doing a lot of drugs, drinking a lot together and kind of digging ourselves down alongside each other. And the last, you know, 
the last thing I remember before realizing I needed help was kind of that that moment going into the, the bathroom at this person whose whose bed was just a mattress on the floor, no sheets, just like one long leather pillow that I think they got from a couch and and looking in the mirror and being like, wow, I really don't like this. I really don't like this. Even though I'm like having career success at the time, you know, doing a lot of work in theater and film in Chicago at the time I was like hmm, really got to change this and then I got this call to to go work on a project in Los Angeles which is where I live now and um I knew kind of when I came out here that this was my opportunity to do things differently but because of the nature of the disease of addiction it wasn't possible for me to do that. And then the fact mm -hmm. of like not having my support system, the very, very small support system that I had had because I'd burned all my relationships mm -hmm. to the ground. Um, I was flailing and then I was sitting in um, hair and makeup for this project and I overheard this girl saying, oh yeah, I don't really drink because it shows up on camera. And I was just like, oh God, now I'm really fucked. Like it's gonna affect my career now. Mm -hmm. And so- of my own volition, I stopped drinking. This was in December of 2017. Mm -hmm. And that's like not even when the recovery began because for three months I was just not drinking and everything else I was still doing the same. I was like, you know, occasionally smoking weed, occasionally doing Coke without drinking, which is like not fun. Um, <laughs> and um, it, it really brought me to my knees those three months of just kind of not drinking and not real and like not knowing why my problems weren't all immediately solved when I removed the substance. Right. Oh, yeah. um, and then I, I kind of made my way into recovery groups and uh, that's really when life completely did a 180. I mean, a lot of people, I won't say a lot of people and I'll, I'll do my best to speak from the eye, but I, I, don't know too many people who had the quick um, 180, the quick psychic change, the immediate mm -hmm. understanding of, oh, like this is not just a substance issue. The substances actually have very little to do with it. It's mostly my spirit. It's mostly my um, insides that, that need cleansing, deep reckoning, deep, you know, shadow, um, work and integration and through like various recovery groups and, and therapy and, and witchcraft and just mm -hmm. the, my, my spirituality, you know, it's led me to today where I'm this, you know, person who wakes up and chooses actions that support my recovery rather than choosing the self-sabotage and the destructive mechanisms that I was using before that just stopped working, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the real solution in it for me has been just like not isolating and talking about my stuff. Like yesterday, my girlfriend, um, who I've been with for like six months, she went out of town and I am going to be going out of town on Friday and she and I are not going to see each other for a month. And for somebody who struggles with codependency and like, mm -hmm. you know, people addiction, 
that's hard. And I felt like crazy. I mean, she'd only been gone for two hours and I was like, my life is so small without her. It's uh-huh. a puzzle piece. And like, you know, how tragic. And, and a lot of my internal dialogue is very dramatic and very tragic, not to minimize my stuff, but I, I mean, that is what it is. It's a lot of like, poor me, how dare you? My life is over. Um, narrative that that my little ego addict brain kind of just puts out there and it talks to me in my own voice. So I'm just like, oh, that's real. Um, and instead of doing what I wanted to do, which was act out, eat and and overeat and, and, and just sleep and just lay around and do nothing. And, you know, whatever, I, I texted a friend who's sober and I was just like, I feel crazy. And they were like, okay, let's hang out. Like, <laughs> you know, and I ended up having a wonderful day yesterday because I had a list of, of healthy um, solutions to the problem. Um, mm-hmm. The problem being my ego really and my fear and my um, attachment. And I also had a list of unhealthy behaviors that like if the healthy solutions don't work, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and, and just lay around and do nothing and binge watch TV even though I have a bunch of work to do before I leave town. Um, but because I was able to take those healthier actions, the other stuff didn't really look as, um, uh, desirable to me. Yeah. So that's just like a brief glance at like the life of a recovering, um, addict of all things. (laughs) Um, yeah. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like very moved by your story or that part of your story. And I think it's so important that you're like, yeah, that just that we get to see that, that you're like, it's not all done now. Like, I think a lot of the times we, we, especially speaking of like Hollywood acting world, like that's the story we always see that like there was a struggle in the past and then we had a redefining moment and now we're healed and the sun is shining on our lives and we have like our happy ending moment. Um, but I think what you shared was so potent in the way of being like, we come up with tools, we come up with tools and like the biggest shift can be reaching out to a friend in those moments like you did and then I think it's so cool that you also like wrote down some of those more unhealthy coping strategies and were like these are an option too like I just think that's so um non-restrictive Hello loves, just jumping in to tell you about the 2S LGBTQIA plus community space that Eva Bloom and myself have created. The Fuck Compet Support Club is an epic space to connect with fellow queer and questioning humans, to build community and to process compet, which is short for compulsory heterosexuality. This space is just $10 per month and you'll get access to a guided monthly Zoom call and an ongoing Discord space for connection. There's always so much gorgeous community and chats happening in that space. So go to patreon.com slash support club, spelled as I said it, but minus the U in fuck, or to make things easy for yourself, just click the link in the show notes. Here you'll find more details and you'll be able to join there. We'd love to welcome you in, whether you've been out for years, are exploring new depths of your queerness, or are questioning your sexuality right now, this space is for you. You truly do belong, and we'd be so excited to welcome you into the club. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's with like four years of recovery, you know, and not mm-hmm. even four years of sobriety from substances, right? This, the only thing I've done perfectly in the last four years is not drink. And like, that's nothing. That's really nothing. Like, I mean, it is something it's huge, but it's, it's also nothing like the day count doesn't matter if I'm not taking daily action to take care of myself and to keep that, that voice, the addiction, um, the, the delusion at bay. Right. And, you know, I, I truly, I'm a firm believer that when like one, you know, sober addict connects with another, um, that like allows spirit to really talk through both entities. And Mm -hmm. so when I'm, when I'm sitting here by myself and spiraling internally and wanting to isolate and wanting to just like numb out and act out or act in, um, and self-harm, you know, like not, not like cutting or anything like that. Like that's not my experience, but like emotionally self-harm, um, the, the little cheat code is like, okay, like identifying like the feeling and being like, okay, this is how I feel. And then reaching out to somebody who gets it. And I always find that like, I intuitively am able to call the right person. Um, and you know, sometimes that's like, you know, a, a friend who has like more time sober than me, or sometimes it's like, a random newcomer who I'm like, maybe I should just check in on a newcomer who doesn't have that much time and like get out of my own brain and be of service. Mm -hmm. Right. And usually what ends up happening is like, not always, of course, like, but usually what ends up happening is like, I get out of my head and I've helped somebody. They say like one phone call saves two lives. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that, I don't know where that person was before I called them, but they might've been having a similar you know, experience, um, with different characters, with a different cast, right. <laughs> like in their life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I really love how interdependent that lens is. I am excited to talk more about spirituality and like, I, so I kind of fell in love with spirituality and like got real deep into like new age land when I was super young, like 15. Um, and there are things that I have loved and benefited from in that world. And then there's things that I'm like, oh, this feels a little harmful um, when it's more like bypassing based. Um, but something that I recently have shifted out of, car, car, something that I recently have shifted out of is this idea that like, I shouldn't need anyone. Like I, there was this idea that I was definitely taught in like self-development land, even that languaging where it's like, self-care self-love self-development like it's all up to you and like if you're really connected to spirit you shouldn't need anything from anyone and like it's been so beautiful to shift into more collaboration and interdependence I'm so glad you said that because I around this time last year I think it was um, that was where I was. I was like in this place of like, oh, like I've got God, I'm good. Like uh, God is my best friend, my lover, my sponsor, my, you know, my therapist. I don't need anyone. And I was still going to therapy and still like, you know, going to these like recovery spaces and stuff and, and doing that like kind of outreach and, and service work. But I was, um, kind of not taking care of myself because I was, putting so much into other people, like into helping other people and being like, 
you know, well, what is, what does my higher power say? Okay. My higher power says call another addict and, and see how they're doing and, and don't talk about myself. And that was another way of me kind of pushing things that I needed to be discussing down. Um, and it was, it was easy to do that because it was COVID and everyone was still at home and, and I was, I was isolating again. And I found that like this, this thing that I had kind of, you know, picked up on from another, um, from like a sponsor, like who was like, who, that was kind of their way of their method that worked for them was like, well, if I have a higher power, I shouldn't want or need anything from anyone else. I don't need to, you know, call a friend when I'm feeling X, Y, Z. I need to just give it all to God. I need to give it all to God. But I think an act of surrender while, yeah, like giving it to God, that's such like an idea. That's such a, you know, concept <laughs> that me, a person who kind of needs a, an a embodied um, practice of that, like, you know, um, yeah, I can like write it down and, and kind of like put it in a box and kind of throw it away. Or I can, you know, get on a call with somebody and, and tell them how I'm feeling and, and work through it together um, mm -hmm. and not feel shame for taking up time. Um, because ultimately hearing somebody else's experience, it always helps me. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't I do the same thing for somebody else? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, this feels like very important. And it's just essentially like, yeah, I think I think the pandemic's been a very extreme reminder of this for like our little human species that we're like, oh, like we need each other. We need each other. We're not we're not meant to do it all on our own. Yeah. It's yeah. really beautiful that you're like living and normalizing that. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear more about what does spirituality mean to you and like what role has it all played in your own recovery journey yeah well I was I was raised in a um I was raised by a Catholic mom and a Jewish dad and um mm -hmm. I I identify with Judaism more as far as religion goes like uh in that you know last year for you know um the the uh, Passover season, I, I counted the Omer, which is like an ancient Jewish ritual. My dad hadn't even heard of it. My aunt was like, that's way too Jewish. And I was just like, but it's so cool. Like, and, yeah. and all I did for those, you know, 49 days or 50 days was, you know, read out of a book that this cool, like female rabbi wrote. And uh, every day I read, you know, a page out of that book and, and just kind of absorbed it and, and meditated on it and, and kind of used it to, to be the theme of my day. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and with something like that, a, a religious practice, um, I, I always see religion as being solid and, and spirituality as being fluid. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, spirituality for me grows every day my relationship with my higher power which I choose to call God because it's just a simple one syllable word but if that word is triggering like I understand and and I I definitely was triggered when I came into certain recovery spaces that use that word a lot mm -hmm. um but I you know I learned now that life is a trigger and and that my um, recovery doesn't look like avoiding my triggers. It kind of looks like being able to face them and not balk and not like fall apart. Um, and to like 
be intuitively able to handle my triggers like in a healthy way rather than throwing drugs at it or people at it um, or self-harm at it. But like, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, again, I'll speak from the eye, like my experience getting sober was very much like a flash of white light. Like it was very much like a quick, my higher power speaking to me um, loud and fucking clear that this was my last drink. Um, you know, on that day that I, that I did put it down forever or well for, for uh, up until now, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's like 24 hours at a time. Right. But, um, I did have that, that gut feeling that this was my last drink and that I was to enjoy it and, and only have one. And then the next day I would start my life as a person who doesn't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ever since then, December 10th, 2017, right. I, I do have these strong messages from spirit. Um, and I've always had them ever since I was a little kid. Like, you know, I didn't have the words for what it was, but now I know like, Oh, back, you know, when I was in Wyoming with my family on a vacation and, a voice said to me that we were on stolen land. That wasn't just in my head. That was a real like spirit talking to me. Right. And like, you know, things like that have happened to me ever since I was a kid, but now I have, instead of fearing it and putting it away and being like, no, I don't want to think about that. Um, I, take messages and use them and listen to them and obey and follow the, the intuitive kind of, um, downloads that I'm getting. Right. And I don't ignore them. I don't bottle them up or, you know, numb them out. Right. Um, now I know like spirituality for some is, is a very slow and educational experience where, you know, a lot of people, who get sober through the 12 steps, like they, you know, get a higher power that works for them while they're working the steps. And then that higher power grows and changes, or some people stick with the same God, this, the he, him, colonial sky daddy, whatever works for you. Right. And, and I'm, I'm just one human who has a very specific relationship with my God. And I don't think anyone's God looks the same as anyone else's. Like, because we all have brains and, um, you know, hopefully we all know how to use them and we're all able to, you know, have an imagination. Um, and so like, while my God might not look the same as yours, um, I don't ever shame anybody for their understanding of a higher power. I just like to say that mine never gets mad at me. Mine has already forgiven me for everything I've already done and everything that I will fuck up in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine holds space for me to be messy. Mine holds space for me to be um, upset at it. <laughs> like I, I lost a, a friend in a tragic, you know, bicycle accident last year, and and I was really fucking pissed. I was like, "How could you do that? Like, why would you do that to me, to him, to everyone he loved, to everyone who loved him?" why is that fair? How does that make sense? And I spent a lot of 2021 being really resentful at Mm -hmm. the universe for, for taking my friend away so young. And so, you know, randomly, um, but it isn't random. And how dare I, like, who, who am I to, to, you know, try and, and judge (laughs) the universe with that 
choice. Like, you know, um, and what can I do instead of, of pointing fingers and blaming God for stuff that ultimately is out of my control? Mm-hmm. Um, I can grieve. <laughs> I can, I can hold space for that, that horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And still every day, it's like, I think about him every day, that friend. And, you know, he, this is a person who was in my life for almost 20 years and, and, you know, a childhood friend and, and it was tragic and it was horrible. And now he's an ancestor. Now mm-hmm. he, I have access to him all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, now he's a collaborator in, in the great unknown. Yeah. Um, I can tap in and then be like, yo, like, help me write this song. Help me write this ending to this, this script. Um, or just like, Hey, ancestors who are well and wise and loved ones on the other side, like, what do I do? Like, mm-hmm. what can I do? And, and I tap in and, you know, sometimes I'll use the Akashic records, the tarot, tap my third eye a couple of times and go, hello, like, are you on? And, mm-hmm. and ask directly for a message. And I know there are people who, when they pray, they don't hear anything back and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and some people's HP, like, doesn't have a personified form and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And some people who get sober are agnostic or atheist and that's okay. Um, but, but ultimately for me, like there's no recovery without at least some kind of connection to something outside of myself, um, something outside of humanity, like I'm beyond human aid. So I need spiritual aid. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is like really what it is for me. It's just like a resource that I always have access to, even with a simple deep breath, like Mm -hmm. a breath can be a prayer, um, you know? Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I love how like rooted in acceptance that description is. I remember studying, I studied social work in college and I remember I took a course called spirituality in the helping profession. And they were showing that like statistically spirituality is the thing that people are least likely to talk about in therapy, even if it's the thing that's helped them the most. And I think that that's really sad and wild. And it was really rooted in like fear of being institutionalized for saying like, oh, you know, this ghost was talking to me the other day and just fear of like where that will land. Yeah. And um, I think it's really, really powerful to just see people show up and, and speak about what they feel and validate what they feel to the degree that they'll speak it. And I think like, that's exactly what you're doing. You're just like, here's what I feel. I'm, I'm like, sure. Tell me if I'm wrong, but like, I'm sure there were points in your life where you, you had those moments of just like, am I going, uh, what's a more politically correct word than crazy? Am I going, you know, insane. Like, yeah. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like how, what supported you in getting to a point where you were able to like validate your intuition and that spiritual connection? Well, during the pandemic, I um, started 
taking classes and workshops through a company called Holisticism. Um, if you're not following them and you're an intuitive person or a business owner um, in the wellness um, and witchcraft space, I definitely recommend giving them a follow and checking out some of their free offerings like the Holisticism Hub and, and you know their workshops and their podcasts. Um, but I started taking classes with them um, because a friend in recovery had recommended um, me checking them out because I had started doing birth chart and tarot readings during the pandemic for a little extra cash. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I started a business. I, you know, started actually doing this as like a not for fun, like just for friends thing and, and providing, you know, guidance from the Akashic Records and the tarot um, to strangers um, who felt called to it. And um, really like the practice of um, reading for other people um, and for myself too, of the Akashic Records, like helped me turn my intuition up to 11. Mm -hmm. And um, it really does like, that is what the Akashic Records are in a nutshell. They're not like a book that you pick up and like look through to find the answers to things. Um, it's all just about like trusting and, and kind of obliterating doubt of your um, intuition, which is like such a gift um, that everyone actually, everyone has intuition, everyone has a gut. And for me early on in recovery, I heard a, a friend say, my gut is my God. And that really spoke to me um, where, you know, I see, you know, God as a collective. <laughs> sounds so funny when I say that out loud, like the collective, like, mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> my higher power uh, is, is more than just one entity because, you know, I think there's strength in numbers. So yeah, it's like a combination of my ancestors. It's a combination of people that I've lost that are on the other side and celebrities that I've really looked up to that. Like, I, I just said to somebody, oh yeah, like one of my, one of my ancestors, Aaliyah, like she's not actually my blood ancestor, but she is a guide. Like, you know, yeah. um, a lot of her music kind of just like comes through and I'm like reading for somebody else. Um, music is a, a part of my higher power. Love is a part of my higher power. Um, mm -hmm. Nature is a part of it. And, and kind of just like growing that, that collective. And when I get these intuitive downloads, whether I have the records open for myself or somebody else or not, um, mm -hmm. the imagery and the, the kind of cues and downloads that I get come from all of these experiences that I have, um, you know, and, and <laughs> somehow I know that when I feel a kind of warming sensation in my palms, mm -hmm. I know that means I have to do somehow, I call that claircognizance, which is kind of like clairvoyance, but instead of like seeing visuals, I kind of just be knowing stuff. Like it kind of just like hits me in the head. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that's it, exactly. Um, and it's kind of just this deep sense of gnosis, like this, this deep sense of knowing what needs to be done or said or um, taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's really the, the relationship that I've had with, with my intuition and it's grown stronger every day. Um, there are many ways I tap in meditation, taking mm -hmm. a shower with no music on and kind of just talking out loud to spirit and being like, Hey, thanks for this girlfriend. I love her so much. How can I not feel insane without her here physically? Mm -hmm. Um, 
<laughs> you know, like, and, and listening and taking a second to like, you know, wash my hair and be like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 great. Okay, yeah, call a friend, great. Okay, go to the flea market, sick. Yeah, that sounds great. Eat, awesome, love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, I also hear in that like a really gorgeous wisdom of just knowing when we need help. Like, yeah. And um, I think that ties into perfectionism, which I hear come up a lot as a theme and what you're sharing and like even coming back to the school of rock magic and like the intensity of having that level of spotlight and attention and like potentially surveillance. And I've, I've like heard in interviews you share about like being sexualized in that way at such a young age, like just such an intense degree of of attention um which I think we all crave and fear like you're saying with those addictions like it's so paradoxical like we want to be seen and we want to be left alone like it's so it's so interesting um but yeah I'm curious like how do you navigate perfectionism and like fear of failure and yeah uh, yeah even when you were sharing like about sobriety and like being perfect or um like not like there's that kind of cultural languaging of like don't screw up or like yeah. starting again yeah. yeah I think it's cool in in the way that in 12-step recovery some of the language in the literature is like when we were wrong we admit it right rather than if we were wrong it insinuates that we are going to fuck up from time to time it insinuates and holds space for the fact that we are not perfect we are just people who are in progress. We are works in progress. And I think of my life as this work in progress and it's always going to be <laughs> like, it's, it's never gonna like, I'm never gonna reach my final form. I think that's like something I mentioned earlier is like taking baby steps towards my final form is a thing, but like, I'm not gonna reach my final form until I die. And like, that is the final form is dead. Like, you know, and, and all I can do is like, not be myself up for having occasional darkness, having occasional moments of like a uh, part of myself that I thought I was done with coming back, like the gossip thing. I, I, you know, I'm very fortunate that my higher power has kind of removed this desire for me to, to mm -hmm. gossip and talk shit about other people to make myself feel bigger when I feel small. Um, but occasionally somebody else will start doing it around me and I'll, I'll be like, oh, I want to play. Like, let me, yeah, let me dip my toes back in this thing. Why not? But instantly what happens is I feel like shit and I'm like, okay, like, let's not, let's not beat ourselves up for going there. Let's just write that down and, or stick that in the, the good to know file and, and think about like what my intention behind that was, mm -hmm. um, and, and look at it as like information rather than seeing it all as like good or bad. <laughs> Another thing that in recovery spaces um, is pretty common is this, this idea or notion of like self-will versus God's will, spirit's will. Um, and if you're in self-will, that means you're selfish and dishonest and, and wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you're in God's will, you're a good person. And that kind of plays into that heaven's reward fallacy. If I'm good, I'm going to go to heaven. If I'm bad, I'm going to go to hell. Um, if I'm in my will, I'm a bad person. If I'm in God's will, I'm a good person. And that's not the binary I like to live in at all, because um, I was doing that for a while when I was new. And, you know, now with with a little under a little over four years of recovery under my belt, like in all areas of my life, I just can't afford to have that kind of lens of thinking on. Um, and so instead of 
trying to do things perfect, you know, whether that's creatively or just life, like, you know, because life be life in, and I never know what it's going to throw at me. Right. I can, I definitely have little future visions where I'm like, oh, that's going to happen. And then it does like, but I'm, I'm usually wrong. Like I'm, I'm usually not correct about my, you know, uh, catastrophizing and, and my negative thinking. So, you know, rather than beating myself up when something doesn't go the way I thought it was going to go, mm-hmm. um, I just say, well, we tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, again, Aaliyah's coming to me and saying, if at first you don't succeed, try again, um, mm-hmm. try something new. If that method of, um, you know, dating doesn't work. I tried to polyamory, um, you know, middle of last year, I tried to, you know, date around and, and do that dating apps and, and, you know, see what was out there. Cause I was kind of, you know, going to the opposite of sex addiction and love addiction, which is like emotional anorexia and like, just like hiding and, and being like, I'm good. I'm Gucci. I don't need a partner. And then being so like alone and and scared to talk to people. And this is like also when I was like coming into my sexuality a little more and and realizing that like, for me, like I, I want to be in relationships with women and, and like only pretty much exclusively women and like non-binary folks and like, you know, trying to see what that was like and, and, and yeah, the apps didn't really do it for me. The polyamory wasn't for me. I read a bunch of books about it. It's not for me. And that's okay. And also I might change my mind on that down the line. Um, I mean, probably not, but like, (laughs) I don't, I right now don't see a world in which I, you know, go back to dating men or go back to being polyamorous, but who knows the girl I'm with right now might transition. Who knows? Like, it's like, I am open to possible outcomes. That's what the Akashic records are about too. It's like, they, they kind of, they don't always give a concrete answer they don't do yes or no um that's for like pendulums and like tarot cards like (laughs) tarot cards can definitely give you a yes or no but the akashic records really that's not for them it's it's more like opening my eyes to possible outcomes of how certain situations might or might not go Mm -hmm. um and that that kind of reading isn't for everybody a lot of people especially on TikTok, love, uh, like, will my boyfriend come back reading? Right. But I think for those who are more open-minded and, and who are, are open to things not going in the way that they want them to go, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a beautiful thing um, to, to be able to, to take a more ambiguous answer um, from spirit. And those are the answers that freaked me out at first. I, I definitely went into like my practice of, of the records wanting to know, like, you know, if my ex was going to come back into the picture and I still, you know, <laughs> to this day will like get kind of trapped in this thing of like pulling a tarot card on a situation and not liking the card that I get and being like, okay, but like what else? Hello loves, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation to tell you about my signature group coaching program, 
the Sensual Wholeness Academy. This is an eight-month program for women and non-binary folk who are ready to let go of shame and claim self-love, sensual empowerment, and somatic healing within an epic community rooted in radical acceptance. The course includes eight modules which dive into content like strengthening boundaries, claiming your true yes and no, transforming shame around sexuality, building a mindful self-pleasure practice, releasing body and genital shame, transforming trauma-inclusive sex education, empowered intimacy, the wheel of consent, and so much more. When you sign up for the Sensual Wholeness Academy, you get access to live weekly group coaching calls featuring embodiment practices, you get the eight video training modules, you get access to our VIP virtual community space where you receive ongoing support throughout the whole program. You get guided journal prompts, community to last a lifetime, and bonus workshops with amazing guests. If you're someone who's ready to let go of shame or numbness and claim the sensual empowerment and self-love you deserve, then your next step is to go to marleyliss.com SWA. You'll also see the link for that in the show notes. So here you'll see plenty more details about the program and you'll be able to set up a free consultation call with myself where you'll receive personalized support and explore if this is a fit for you. So I'm so looking forward to connecting with you on this call. You're so worthy and capable of this reclamation. Yeah, I think the perfectionism is this kind of like, um, what was it, the quote that I heard the other day? Perfectionism is just fear wrapped in a mink jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's, it just is delusion. It's another version of delusion. It's also like an offspring of white supremacy and, mm-hmm. and, you know, productivity, perfectionism, all of those things are all offspring of capitalism. And it's, it's ultimately not helpful for me to try to do things perfectly. Um, you know, there are some things that, that, you know, need perfection. Like when I'm working out, I have to have perfect form or else I'm going to fuck up my back. But for something like interacting with people, we forget, I think, or I forget often that the other person doesn't have the script that I wrote in my head for how this scene's going to go. And like, we're actually all out here just doing improv, which is like another cringe thing that I you know, have to remind myself all the time is like, this is all improv. Like life is just winging it and, and kind of taking suggestions and going with what we get, you know? (laughs) And, uh, that, that is a beautiful thing. And and again, like to, to just go back to this, like my life is like so rich and like wild and full of different avenues of creation, performance and, and media, like, you know, I, I, I was in a theater program auditioning for musicals and doing improv classes and doing sketch and also in standup and, and dance and singing and burlesque and like whatever, all at the same time. And all of those areas of my life and all of those kind of eras of Rivka, like have contributed to who I am today. Yeah. If you had told me four years ago that I would be a mental health influencer, I would be like, fuck off, you're insane. <laughs> like that's a lie and you're cute and funny. If you had told me four years ago today that I would have my own apartment in Los Angeles and not be, not have an overdrawn bank account um, and not need to like sell pictures of my feet on the internet, like to make a living anymore, like 
I would have, I wouldn't have believed you, but that is the reality is that like this, not just sobriety, but like all of this, like hard work, rigorous action, rigorous honesty, like radical self-acceptance that I've had to do, um, which has not been pretty, not once, like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of crying. It's a lot of like beating my pillows and, you know, being very violent towards my pillows. Um, you know, (laughs) uh, uh, I can't say everything's fine, um, but I can say that everything's as it's supposed to be. Um, And I don't say that with a smile. (laughs) Um, I don't like, you know, love that everything is as it's supposed to be. Um, But just today, I know that I have all of these tools and I have all of this knowledge and, and I also have a lot of tools that I haven't tried yet and a lot of knowledge that I don't have yet. And I'm, I'm open to it all. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. I like, there's so many pieces of that, that I'm like, I'm going to take away like the shift from if to when feels really significant to me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners, like just this kind of, because I think the second, like for me, quick example, is just like fear of conflict and like being in in um a new relationship for me and being like oh my god like we haven't had a fight yet like if we have a fight blah, blah, blah. and so the second conflict happens there's like failure versus if there is that mental prep of like when this happens yeah it's all about providence like this this idea of like timely preparation for future eventualities like right mm-hmm. assuming assuming not the worst but assuming the, the reality that like, okay, I'm not going to get every job I auditioned for mm-hmm. when I face rejection, which is often as an actor and a creative that somebody passes on my work or yeah. says, we're going in a different direction or says you're great, just not for this character or not for mm-hmm. this story. When that happens, what are the actions I take to take care of myself? Because I know that not everything is going to come up Rivka. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, ha- and then also, you know, preparing for beautiful success too. Cause I think fear of failure and fear of success look very similar. Yeah. Um, for me, I am afraid of being famous and yet I want to be famous so badly, like where it used to be a toxic thing. <laughs> and, and now it's like, you know, it would be cool if that happened, but like, if not, I'm already like pretty well known within my community. And that's actually more valuable to me than being like a mega celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, where I have like a very strong sense of community within the queers in LA and Chicago and New York who, and, and, you know, the TikTok thing has been so nice, like, but, um, ultimately like looking at my fears of success and seeing that they're not that different from my fears of failure, a lot of it coming down to what if it's not in my control and kind of saying to myself, like, okay, like, when I finish writing this short film, how am I going to celebrate? Mm-hmm. When I finish um, making this movie that I'm about to go shoot, how am I going to celebrate? Okay, I'm going to get tickets to New York, go visit my sisters, go see her in a play and mm-hmm. see some of my friends out in New York and go to Russ and Daughters and get myself my favorite bagel sandwich. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to come back to LA and hug my girlfriend. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, when I'm out in, in Massachusetts shooting and start to feel really, really sad because I miss my girlfriend, what am I going to do to take care of myself? And when we are reunited, how are we going to celebrate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think it's important for us, yes, to know how we're going to deal with, um, the, the, the kind of not so nice feelings that are going to eventually come up. But I think it's also really special to be able to set prizes and treats for ourselves for the good feelings, you know? I think that's so beautiful and so loving, like making, making, yeah, just making the challenges more loving. I think that's like a really good, I almost picture someone like packing for a picnic and being like, we should bring this, like, just in case we want this, we should put this in. And I just think that's a really sweet way to go through life. So thank you for that. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Thank you. How can people connect with you and like support your work and everything that you're up to? My Instagram is at Rivka.Reyes. That's R-I-V-K-A-H period R-E-Y-E-S. And that's also my TikTok, my Twitter, you know, not as useful, uh, (laughs) but if you you want some really, like really chaotic um, little ideas that I kind of just have and then type, um, my Twitter is also also Rivka Reyes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, for my Akashic Records and Tarot offerings, um, there is a link in my bio on TikTok, um, but that link is uh, R-I-V-K-A-H-R-E-A-D-I-N-G-S, so Rivka Readings, dot A-S dot me, and that's how you can schedule your sesh, and if you have any questions about it, I think I have a work email um, on that platform, uh, the scheduling platform, uh, if you have any questions about uh, payment plans or just in general, like, what am I going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I can assure you that what you're going to get out of it is just um, a new perspective on things that you might have been missing. And also a fun new way to uh, turn your your intuition up to 11. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll definitely put those links in the show notes. And like, I just love everything you're offering and the lens that it's coming from. And like shared a little bit about this, but just, yeah, like have had nuanced experiences in the world of spirituality. And I think it's like really beautiful, the very compassionate and open and like humble lens that you talk about it with. I think it starts to get harmful when we show up with that, like, this is the way. (laughs) Yeah. I don't do that. I've never... I'm, I'm, I've been that person in early recovery when I finished like working the 12 steps the first time. And I was just like, this is the framework. This is the boundary. This is like the heart. Well, it wasn't really even a boundary. It was kind of like a wall. And, mm-hmm. you know, now I think yeah, I'm, I'm non-binary. The only binary I really live in is like, is this action for or against my recovery? Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> all other binaries can suck a dick. <laughs> I love that so much. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much, Rivka. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for having me.